0: Welcome to America the Bizarre. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch.
1: And I'm Jeremy.
0: And this is a weekly history podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. Yes. Beautiful. And welcome to fall, the time of year that I always get allergies, and that is why I sound this way now. I'll probably be nasally until it snows, (laughs) which is usually November, sometimes December here in Idaho. God bless my genes, I don't get that way. Yeah, so it's going to be a long few months of me being stuffed up. Yeah. So apologies for all of the next episodes for the next few months. So, doing research for this episode, it reminded me of our friend, Justin, Mm -hmm. and his profession, which is ostrich rancher. Yes. So, there's a ranch of ostriches here in Idaho, like in the high deserts of Idaho. Yeah. And they just do little... They basically raise them as cattle.
1: Yep. That's like ethically... They they do some... Some pretty cutting edge. It's like a feedlot, but it's, it's a lot better ran and a lot cleaner.
0: Yeah, but they they raise them for meat, not yep. just like feathers and ostrich mm-hmm. skin or anything. They, they make soaps. They make soaps. They make dog treats. They they do it all with basically also
1: fine cuts of meat.
0: Yeah, you can basically. I've learned make almost anything out of an ostrich.
1: Yeah. Um. So I was talking to him. Surprisingly, I didn't know this. Like a lot of them. Textiles like leathers, because I asked him about the ostrich skin. I was like, "What do you guys do with it? Do you like make wallets out of them?" Or he was like, "No, we just we don't really do anything with it because the process that you have to do to treat tan and the hides involves a bunch of different chemicals, and so it's really just not cost beneficial to process them here in the U.S." Okay. So he said they currently don't really do a whole lot with them. So I was like, "Oh man, I would love to do that." Some Asha ties will give you some boots and a hat. Nice. A, a wallet. Hat. A wallet. Yeah. Maybe a vest. Maybe some pants. A
0: vest. <laughs> a pants.
1: A whole ensemble. That's just
0: the whole outfit. <laughs> I just know that Justin is my favorite person to be in an Uber ride with when we're going home from the bars. 'Cause like everybody in the Uber will be silent and Justin will just pipe in with, Hey, I work on an ostrich farm yeah, get and super everybody's nervous. like, What? <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. It's an icebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> everybody everybody knows now to stay quiet so he'll use it too. Yeah. He gets so nervous when it's too quiet.
0: Yeah. I mean it's it's a good fun fact about yourself. Yeah. That not very many people can say. Yeah. All right. Presidential trivia. So instead of you guessing mm-hmm. a president, I'm just going to tell you a pre- about a president, so. Okay. Okay. So instead of the Bible, which book did President John Quincy Adams take his oath of office on?
1: Ooh. I knew this one. I used to. There's like three presidents that haven't used the Bible and he's one of them.
0: But what book was did he use instead of the Bible?
1: Wow. Oh. John Quincy Adams. Shoot, I don't, I don't know. Don't, don't know.
0: I think you'll be like, kind of like, bummed with yourself when I yeah. tell you the answer. Yeah. But the answer will be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. Nah. Alright, you ready to get into this week's episode? Now that I've teased ostriches (laughs) yes okay frederick russell burnham was born on may 11th 1861 in minnesota burnham never finished school but by the time that he was 14 years old he was living on his own in california trying to learn as much as he could from the cowboys and frontiersmen he met there
2: Nice.
0: he then worked for the united states army as a civilian tracker during the apache wars Burnham was always seeking adventure and found himself and found himself in southern Africa, working as a scout for the British Army. Nice. He just kind of was like, Alright, Apache wars are done, because I'm just gonna hop on this ship and go to Africa. Yeah. Despite being an American, Burnham was given the British military title of Chief of Scouts and the rank of Major. Wow. Like he was like the scout. Yeah he even got to dine with queen victoria what yeah he and he met actually he was on like a ship back to britain from africa while cuz he w- went back and forth a little bit mm-hmm. and he actually talked to a young reporter named winston churchill <laughs> who like asked him about his like life, life and his Experience africa in expeditions yeah yeah, huh. yeah.
1: <laughs> Winston Churchill, no kidding.
0: It seemed like everyone who met Burnham was very impressed by him. And actually reading there was like a ton of quotes that I found about him. And it seemed like everybody that met him a little bit fell in love with him. Yeah. Like they all
1: they all crushing him.
0: Like men and women alike. Like vibing
1: every- vibin pretty hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so he was only five foot four, but people said he was like a man's man. All five foot four inches was pure man, is basically what people said. Like the closest you know that that reminds guy... me of? Who?
1: Our friend Justin. Oh,
0: yeah. So So tiny.
1: <laughs> I think it's five six, but yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so what five six a man. But it's all man. <laughs> One writer described how Burnham could go two and a half days without sleep, fix a broken pistol mainspring with a piece of buffalo bone, smell water from long distances away, and very seldom drink alcohol or smoke, because it would dull his senses. His commanding officers described him as a man totally without fear. People also loved his eyes that were described by one writer as steady gray blue eyes that have in them a faraway look, such as those acquire whose occupation has caused them to watch continually at sea or on great plains. There's a lot of quotes about his eyes, too. Yeah. People were like madly in love with this man. Yeah. <laughs> one of his friends described Burnham as the most complete human being who ever lived. <laughs> During the Second Boer War in South Africa, Burnham's greatest enemy was a man named Fritz Ducroix. Burnham and Ducroix were both given assignments to kill each other, and spent the war trying to track each other down, but neither was successful.
1: Like, how do you know that, though? Like, how do you know who your archenemy is?
0: They were like, yeah, I mean, I don't think... if you don't have their phone number. I don't know if the other one knew that the other one was trying to kill them, but both of them, so... Burnham is working for the British and they're like, You need to go kill, kill this guy who's he's th- a French? Uh he's so he grew up in South Africa. Sure. And so they're like, Hey, you need to go kill this guy whose nickname is the Black Panther mm-hmm. And yeah. And so then this other guy was like, Hey, you need to go kill this Burnham guy because he's like the best scout in the world yeah. and so it sounded <laughs> so it sounded more, yeah, like, they're working for the British, <laughs> so it sounded more, like Burnham didn't get the Fritz guy more because he was busy doing like everything else for the British, yeah,
1: all of the other others, yeah, scouting. And
0: Fritz didn't get Burnham because Burnham is just like really good, yeah. and he talked about like one time he was packing food for like a week, and he had like two apples and a cob of corn, and he was like, stupid me. Corn corn on the cob was, like, too much of an extravagance for this, and he, like, ditched it because he felt bad, like, <laughs> taking that much food with him. Jeez. That it would stick out of his pocket too much and he'd be seen. Or strip the corn off the cob. <laughs> or just eat it. Put it in your pocket. Yeah. I don't know. Also, corn doesn't di-
1: digest well. <laughs> I know this. So, And I'm not a scientist.
0: So the Second Bar War ends with the British squashing the Boer people. Mm-hmm. And then after the death of his Who daughter. Are the so there were white people living in South Africa that didn't uh, want to be told what to do by the British. Ah. Uh, you know?
1: No. The cult damn Damn colonials (laughs) not wanting to listen (laughs) to the
0: crown. But the British squashed this rebellion, basically. Mm. Um, So after the war and after the death of both his daughter and one of his sons, Burnham and his wife moved back to the United States to settle down. However, Burnham missed Africa and would think of it often. At the turn of the 20th century, America was facing a serious dilemma. Thanks to the Industrial Revolution, American cities were growing rapidly, and large waves of immigrants were coming to America to live out the American dream. Yeah,
1: that's like so right at the time Teddy Roosevelt was president.
0: Yes, it was. So,
1: did he go back to? Did he work for Teddy? Is that like? Did they? Did they know each other?
0: We'll get to Teddy. Okay. It's
1: like Africa and Teddy. Like this has got to be. Oh yeah. Teddy's got to be involved.
0: So more people means the need for more food. However, due to overgrazing of rangeland, the number of cows in the United States were dropping by millions of head a year, and the price of beef was soaring. Besides the domesticated cow, herds of buffalo had been wiped out, species of birds had been hunted near extinction, beavers and
1: were pretty much done. Beavers were point. pretty
0: much done, and fish numbers were low due to dynamite being used as a main harvesting technique. America was looking at a serious meat shortage, and like people were like seriously like, what are we gonna do when we run out of meat? Are we gonna have to eat our dogs, like. Yeah. So in 1906, Burnham got word of President Theodore Roosevelt's plan to protect large amounts of land as federal reserves. Like we've talked about before, Teddy was a huge conservationist that yeah. saw how fast America was burning through its natural resources, and was like, hey, we need to slow down. Before we need to
1: preserve these resources. So
0: that Americans, for years to come, will be able to use them. Generations. Generations. Eons. Burnham figured that the newly protected land in the southwest would be the perfect place to transplant about 30 different varieties of antelope, giraffes, and other animals from Africa.
1: Hmm. So he... It was just like, yeah,
0: these are good meat sources. Yeah, exactly. Especially because so he's living in Southern California right now, where it's dry and deserty, and similar to the plains of Africa that he yeah. Oh, you mean Death Valley? Yeah. (laughs) So he's like, oh, you know what? There's no animals really living here now. You know what animals you know do well in this climate? animals from Africa. Yes,
1: they have mastered the uh, the dry desert savanna lands.
0: So Burnham's idea was that the African animals could get their start and then get their population in federally protected land going, and then they could be dispersed across America. Land that was seen as unproductive or vacant could be turned into grazing for America's new food supply. Jesus.
1: I mean, this was like, I mean, this was a little bit before, like, the whole... Dust Bowl. Yeah, this is know, like 19- oh, f- 190 This is yeah. like nineteen
0: oh five.
1: But gosh dang it, we needed something.
0: Yeah, the so Burnham got his wealthy friends together to raise fifty thousand dollars that would pay for the first wave of African animals to be imported in. Hmm. They then had a very successful meeting with President Roosevelt and the chief of the United States Forest Service, Gifford Pinchot. After the mm. meeting, Pinchot told Burnham, "I have talked with good many men about the plan, and no one has developed any weak points yet." Everybody's was like, "Yeah, I guess, sure." <laughs> I think a lot of people so were a, so good. Could you imagine
1: right now? You're like looking out our is window, that a giraffe? like is that a giraffe.
0: I think a lot of people were like, "I don't like it," but I can't tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that just, would
1: blow my mind if we had giraffes here right, right? now. Right? Like just, and in there, and they would be a non-native species right did you ever go and hunting giraffes in idaho be awesome those would be some stout like being able to climb the mountains and stuff imagine like giraffes like mountain goats you know yeah we get like some
0: kind of uh, like
1: just like perched on this like tiny little ledge on the side of a cliff
0: We get some like mutated like super climber giraffes yeah Despite support of the project, it was ultimately abandoned when Roosevelt's critics in Congress decided to attack the idea simply because Roosevelt liked it. Uh. Burnham was extremely upset, but he was able to get connected with Louisiana Congressman Robert Broussard. Broussard was very popular in Louisiana, and his constituents often called him Cousin Bob. Broussard claimed that he was related to at least a quarter of the voters in Iberia Parish, possibly even up to half of them. The Saturday Evening Post. Uh, yes,
1: the South.
0: <laughs> Altly, Louisiana. <laughs> the Saturday Evening Post once wrote Certain Louisianians may protest that they are not his cousins. That is a matter of minor importance. The point is that Cousin Bob is their cousin, and he is satisfied even if they are not. It is quite impossible to stop Cousin Bob from being everybody's cousin. <laughs> he is your cousin, whether you like it or not, yeah. and you're going to vote for him because <laughs> he's your cousin. Broussard was trying to find a solution to a problem that Louisianians were dealing with back home: the water hyacinth. In 1884, delegates from Japan had brought water hyacinths to an international cotton expo in New Orleans. To so plant. Yes. Yeah. Locals loved the look of the pale lavender flowers and began to plant them in their ponds at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They're like they're a water plant.
2: Yeah, like a lily.
0: Yeah. The flowers took off and began to spread through the local waterways, taking over the city, then eventually making it into the Mississippi and clogging up rivers, streams, and wetlands across the state. Mm -hmm. The flowers grew into these thick mats that covered the water it grew on. The hyacinths closed down shipping routes, which stopped millions of tons of freight being able to get through. The flowers also blocked sunlight and created low oxygen levels in the water which resulted in the killing of large populations of fish. Hmm. The war department actually took on cleaning up the flower according to We Bruce- got
1: soldiers they need a job. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly.
1: <laughs> Here's a rake. Go rake the water. Right? <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a job for the army. <laughs>
0: According to Broussard, they would clean a stream today, and in a month it is covered all over again with the same plant. Because these plants also produce asexually, so you just need just one. Just one tiny piece of a plant, and it's... Done for You can't leave any bits. They would sometimes try to throw oil on the flowers, which would cause them to sink, and then rise back up to the surface again once the oil had cleared. So now they're just dumping oil in the water. So Mm. that's cool, too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sounds like a job that the
1: army did. Dumping yeah. <laughs> well, oil in our waterways. Well, this is taking too long. Let's <laughs>
0: put some oil on it. They probably tried to set it on fire, too.
1: Yeah. That's like, that I can get behind. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the water hyacinth had rendered the wetlands across the Gulf Coast basically worthless. Huh. Broussard thought that bringing an animal to clean up the hyacinth could be a solution. Wait,
1: I know, let's pull a animal from another continent, not native to this one, to help clear the problem.
0: Well, give it a minute. Just listen. What? I like this idea, actually. I'm on board. Okay. When Broussard met with a veteran researcher at the U.S. Department of Agriculture named William Newton Irwin, The two of them came to the solution that the hippopotamus might be able to solve a multitude of America's problems.
1: (laughs) Oh, you mean the most violent, non-predatory animal? Yeah, that one. Of the African Sahara? Yeah, the
0: one that kills the most people out of any animal. yeah. Yeah. Hippopotamuses love to eat aquatic vegetation, like the water hyacinth. If they could just put some hippos in Louisiana, (laughs) they would eat the hyacinth, which would allow for the wetlands to be used again. And when the hippos were nice and plump, they could then be killed and fed to Americans to solve the meat shortage.
1: This guy's a goddamn genius.
0: Because hippos are huge. That's a lot of meat. that can feed a lot of Americans. Yeah,
1: but I've never had hippo meat. Never even heard of people like having hippo meat. Heard of people having horse meat. Right. Never a hippo.
0: Irwin said that hippos would turn the plague that they now have in the South into good, wholesome flesh for our people. (laughs) When their plan was met with resistance, because Americans just said they wouldn't eat hippos. Weird. Irwin said the only reason that they don't already is because their neighbors don't or because nobody ever told them it was the proper thing to do. Jeez. Jeez. Irwin invited a reporter from the Washington Post to talk about the plan and offered the reporter a stick of hippo jerky, while saying, I am at a loss to understand why anybody should protest against the hippopotamus as a food animal. There is no good reason beyond that inexplicable American habit of following beaten paths. Everyone seems to hate to go out and blaze a trail. So and doing. what did the reporter say? I think he was like, mmm, tasty jerky. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Which is really probably not. Hippo jerky.
0: No, it really was hippo jerky, and in fact, hippo apparently tastes pretty good, what? especially the fatty brisket. And a reporter from the New York Times tried a hippo brisket and <laughs> renamed it Lake Cow Bacon. What? <laughs>
1: Lake cow bacon. (laughs) We got a lot going on there.
0: Well, you wouldn't call it lake pig bacon? Yeah. First of all, because bacon comes from pigs. But yeah, lake cow bacon is how he described the taste. But
1: cows and pigs are different.
0: And I know. (laughs) I don't know if we chose this New York Times article (laughs)
1: about
0: how it tasted.
1: It's a mer-cow pig. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know you know how a mer-cow pig would taste? That's how this tastes. People like, you mean a
1: mermaid, cow, and a pig. Yeah. It's a mer-cow pig.
0: Mer-cow pig.
1: <laughs>
0: and they figured if the project went as planned, the hippos could be harvested for millions of pounds of meat for Americans each year.
1: Louisiana just... It's the new stockyards. Yeah. Can
0: you, can you see, like,
1: Sunny <laughs> Texas? Can you
0: see Louisianians on their horses, <laughs> their cowboy hats, hippo hats? <laughs>
1: I think you mean airboats. <laughs> yeah. What are those called?
0: Oh, like the big fan boats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't yeah. think what they're called. Oh, my gosh.
1: I think they're called airboats, aren't they? Yeah. Airboats? Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> they got their. Got their lariats out yep. on their airboats or wrang-
0: wrangling mer cow pigs. Imagine <laughs> trying to wrangle a hippo. <laughs>
1: mer cow pig. Mer
0: cow pig. That's my myth. <laughs> Lake cow. With Burnham, Broussard and Irwin working together, Broussard created the bill H.R. 23261, which would appropriate $250,000 towards the importation of useful new animals into the United States and was nicknamed the Hippo Bill. Nice.
1: Not to be confused with HIPAA, which regulates the dispersing of medical medical information.
0: information. (laughs) Yes, very different. (laughs) So Burnham wrote an article titled Transplanting African Animals that was published in New York's Independent Magazine. And the bill began to become very popular, and people were talking about it and getting very excited about hippos coming to the United States.
1: About these Creatures of the water that terrorize humans? Yeah, but nobody
0: in America really knows about that. Yeah, maybe they should have. <laughs> People started to write Brassard letters on how impressed they were with his bill and how much they supported it. The hippo bill eventually made its way to committee. Burnham appeared before the committee to speak on behalf of the bill, where he talked of his experiences in Africa. Burnham also brought up the fact that four main animals that Americans ate, cows, pigs, sheep, and poultry, had all basically been imported from Europe. So why shouldn't we import other types of animals to eat? Yeah. He's like, you know, cows aren't from America. Right. So, and you eat those all the time. So what's the difference between getting a cow from Europe and a hippo from Africa?
1: Yeah, same thing. Yeah. What's Are the difference remnants? between
0: getting a European cow and an African lake cow? <laughs> You don't have to convince me. I'm convinced. <laughs> I'm I'm, all, I'm all for it. I still think we should get hippos here. No, it's terrible. So, he said, The only reason that a pork chop or chicken soup felt American was because Americans had eaten them for so long, not because of where the animals had actually come from. And in time, hippo roast could be served for Christmas dinner nationwide with nobody blinking an eye.
1: Yes. Can
0: you imagine just a big ol'... Hippo roast on the Christmas table.
1: On the Traeger. Yeah. Smoking. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Waking up at 2 a.m., throw that bad boy on the Traeger.
0: <laughs> deep fry uh, <laughs> hippo chop.
1: Yeah. We have fire departments doing videos about don't throw frozen hippo...
0: At your deep hippo, fryer. <laughs> yeah. Rumps. <laughs> Burnham also brought up the fact that the federal government had recently brought in reindeer from Russia to be used for food in Alaska. And then in the 1850s, eventual president of the Confederacy, Jefferson Davis, had brought camels to the U.S. to be used instead of horses as pack animals in the Southwest. Hmm. And they actually did do better than horses in the Southwest. Unfortunately, Americans' need for things to never be different, soldiers riding horses made fun of soldiers riding camels. And eventually soldiers refused to ride camels (laughs) due to all of the ridicule. Oh. So the camels were then just set free because nobody would ride them, and they just were yeah, set free by the military to live in Arizona.
1: Where they still live today.
0: <laughs> I don't believe there's any camels <laughs> still today. Because then it seemed like people were really excited about all these camels in Arizona, and they went on a hunting spree, and they just killed them all. Oh, yeah, yeah. Burnham had actually caught a wild camel while in Arizona and was able to break <laughs> it for riding. And he had this whole plan about breaking all of these wild camels and selling them to people for, like, you know, packing in <laughs> in the Southwest. And then the Apache Wars broke out, and then he decided that was much more fun than breaking camels. <laughs> and so then he just kind of let his camels go free, too. Yeah,
1: That's how we get the half the wild horses we have today. Oh, right. people, people just, just setting it free, yeah, setting them on, free.
0: Go live on the mountains, yeah. live a great life. Yeah, all of like the wild, most of the wild mustangs today are just people just setting their horses free because they're tired of taking lands. care of them. Yeah. So this proved to Burnham how well important animals could thrive in America and how it could serve Americans for the for good. After Burnham and Irwin finished talking to the committee, Broussard brought in a third speaker, which he introduced as a hunter of great note from Africa that just happened to be touring America and lecturing on Africa's wild animals. Broussard then said, I now desire to present to the committee Captain France Ducroix, Burnham's archenemy in the dun, Boer dun, War. Dun.
2: <laughs>
0: Though nothing ever happened between them. they like pull out knives. And they're yeah, they like... just like, yeah, start fighting like yeah. uh, uh, on the committee floor. Yeah, yeah. Burnham was like, I'll let bygones be bygones because you're helping me with this whole Africa thing.
2: <laughs> so, kind of like I
0: explained before, Duqua grew up in South Africa, and he said that he remembered adults coming into the town with a hippo they had just hunted, and then divvying up the hippo meat among the different families living in the town. Duqua, along with the other children, would then collect the hippo fat and sell it to French soap manufacturers in the area. When Duquois was a teenager, he was sent to Belgium to study at a military academy. He returned when the Second Boer War broke out to fight against the British, where then he also tried to kill Burnham several times. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: When the British won the war, Duquois decided to not stick around and made his way to America. Duquois was able to get a job as a reporter for the New York Sun and eventually found himself giving President Theodore Roosevelt pointers on hunting in Africa, before his big planned expedition that he was going to go on as soon as he was out of office.
2: With? What's his name?
0: With Carl Akeley. Yeah, Akeley. He, he met up with Carl Akeley. <sighs> While testifying in front of the committee, Dukwa talked of how easy it was to domesticate a hippo, which makes me think that this guy is a huge liar. <laughs> Pants on fire.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yes, yes. Uh, domesticated hippos. Why didn't all you ask? All the time, yes. <laughs> we
0: domesticate hippos all the time <laughs> in South Africa. Well,
1: you haven't ever seen a herd of of hippos in our, in our
0: fenced-in... Lake pond ranch farm. Right. <laughs> he said you could like you basically grow them like seeds. He said you could give the babies bottles just like a regular baby, and you could even just lead them on leashes. Yeah, no, this guy was totally full of it.
1: I don't know. I have seen a picture of you leading a Texas Longhorn. know yeah,
0: that's a cow yeah. that's been domesticated for. These years. are just lake cows, <laughs> lake Jordan. Cows. I know. Duqua also recommended With that out-horns. America, yeah. also recommended that America bring in other African animals too, such as elands, giraffes, and elephants. This mm. guy wanted African elephants in America.
2: Yeah, might American
0: as well, ones. right? Yeah, just
1: do big. Get yeah. lions. Get the no. lions, cheetahs.
0: After the committee hearing, there was a large amount of newspaper articles being written about the possibility of hip- of hippos being the main source of meat for Americans. Before voting on the hippo bill, though, Congress adjourned. Congressman Broussard was to reintroduce the bill the next spring, and plans were made that Burnham would lead an exploratory trip into Africa to seek out other animals that could do well in America. Burnham was never able to go back to Africa, though, having to cancel the expedition at the last minute when the revolution in Mexico began to escalate. Burnham was asked to stay and protect land and assets along the Yaqui River from the fighting, so he stayed. Burnham tried his best to stay involved with the hippo importation, though, and got into contact with the circus master in Germany on the best practices for shipping wild animals long distances. Broussard, however, never reintroduced the bill, then left the House for the Senate and then died in 1918 before the bill ever got a vote in Congress. And that's just kind of how the hippo bill died. It had a lot of support, but it just never got pushed to a vote. Dang it. Irwin had died back in 1911, only a year after the committee hearing, so he wasn't much help getting a new bill written, even though several of his scientific papers began to be published after his death, including hmm. one about introducing pygmy hippos instead of the larger-sized hippos in America because they would be easier to control. Hmm. And also this guy thought that we should all eat turkey eggs instead of chicken eggs. Because they're bigger and have more nutrients.
1: So why aren't we...
0: Just because we, we've eaten chicken eggs all along. The same reason people don't want to eat hippo. they just never done it before.
1: So you should tell your parents this and they should raise turkeys. They should do should turkeys.
0: Turkey eggs. Yep. <laughs> Officials in the Department of Agriculture disagreed with Irwin's hippo reasonings, though, saying that America should turn the marshes into grassland so that cattle could be grazed in the south. So instead you know of how Im- much fill you would need, yeah, Stum- yeah I do. Is it better to import hippos? I think so. <laughs> yes. But so instead of importing hippos, America actually just industrialized farming and created smaller, more confined factory farms that could produce more meat using less land, like hmm. feeding cows, Sounds corn. Like a it, yep. It's basically America just turned to feedlots instead of you know doing open, open range grazing. ranching. Yep. The state of Louisiana is still battling the water hyacinth today, spending about $2 million a year on spraying the flowers with herbicides.
1: Mm.
0: And they just keep coming back. You know what would taken care of them? Hippos. hippos.
1: Uh, maybe... Maybe, you know, there's still
0: time. We can still get hippos here, guys. Bring I'm still for hippos here. Yeah. I'm still for hippos in Louisiana. <laughs> They've already got... Uh,
1: If you live in Louisiana and listen to this podcast, why don't you hit us up and let us know your thoughts on having hippos in your backyard. They've
0: already got alligators. Why not hippos? Hmm. And pygmy hippos. I'm with the pygmy hippos, too. (laughs) Little tiny hippos.
1: (laughs) You say tiny hippos. Like, they're going to be really small. I I know.
0: They're not that... They're not, like... They're not, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're not, like, goat-sized, like, they're still...
1: <laughs> instead of being, oh, I don't know, 3,000 pounds, they're probably, like, only 1,000 pounds.
0: I mean, that's, like, the size of a cow.
1: <laughs> I don't know how much a hippo weighs. How much does a hippo weigh? I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, about 3,000 to 4,000 pounds.
0: How much does a pygmy hippo weigh? Because <laughs> I'm interested in just getting a pygmy hippo.
1: But... Here's the thing. If you get pygmy hippos, then it's going to take them a whole heck of a lot longer to get rid of the problem because they don't get eat as more. much
2: food.
1: They They uh, mature pygmy hippos weigh up to 605 pounds. Cute. 605 pounds.
0: That's still a massive... I like it. I want one. <laughs> no. Right. All right. Duquois ended up becoming a spy for Germany during both world wars and spent many years evading Boo. the FBI until he was eventually arrested and convicted in 1941 for relaying secret information on U.S. weaponry and shipping movements to Germany. So this guy was a bad guy. And I think he definitely lied about hippos being on leashes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah was, but, um, you, know, you don't even need a leash. Just yeah. call it heel
0: boy. <laughs> Come here. <laughs> When Lord Robert Baden Powell founded the Boy Scouts, he wanted to raise up several generations of boys into men modeled after his friend and previous soldier, Frederick Russell Burnham.
1: Did you say boys to men?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I did say that.
1: Are we talking about the band now? No. Okay. I'm
0: talking about Boy Scouts. <laughs> the Boy Scouts were to wear neckerchiefs because Burnham always wore one while he was in the desert. Burnham became a member of the Boy Scouts of America's National Council, though he was often disappointed when the council didn't agree with him on the same requirements the boys needed to meet. They need to
1: wrestle hippos. The
0: boys needed to meet to receive the medal for frontiering and scouting skills. (laughs) He, He thought they needed to have mastery of stalking, evasion, and axmanship, along with hiking alone for two days and nights with no food, having to forage and hunt if they wanted to eat. And the Boy Scouts of America's like, No, Bertham. That's insane. We're not sending these boys out there with no food for two days and nights all alone. Yeah. And he was like, Well, they're not gonna grow up to be (laughs) stand up real They're not real men. They're not real scouts. Burnham, you didn't
1: do that until you were literally in the army. Like
0: he was like (laughs) fifteen. Yeah. In the army. Yeah.
1: Or Apache Wars.
0: It was recorded that Burnham said he was vitally concerned with the virility of the country's future manpower. But Burnham died a rich man. He ended up owning much of the land that is now Hollywood. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. So he did okay for himself.
1: Yeah, I'll say.
0: And that is the story of how Americans almost, like, had hippo meat. Oh, I thought we were talking talking about
1: the founding... Story of the Boy Scouts.
0: Well, a little bit of both. A little bit of everything <laughs> in the story. Like I said before, I'm still down for hippos in Louisiana.
1: Yes. Maybe we need a poll.
0: Yep. We like, can probably get Trump on board with hippos. In... In Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. My sources for this story were American Hippopotamus by John Mualem. Scouting on Two Continents and Taking Chances by Frederick Russell Burnham and Meet We Trust by Maureen (laughs) Ogle. Are you ready for some presidential trivia? Yeah. So the question was, instead of the Bible, which book did President John Quincy Adams take his oath of office on? And the answer is, he took the oath of office on a book of constitutional law. Ah,
1: yes, it was a law school book. I did, I did I did, know. It was a law school book. I did know that. I did know that. There was, who else? There was three of them. There was three presidents, right? Who didn't take the oath on the Bible. There's some crazy story about Benjamin Franklin, too. And swearing in. But, I mean, obviously. Who? he's Benjamin Franklin. But, I mean, obviously he's not a president. Right. But there was like a, there's like a story, and I can't remember what it was.
0: Teddy Roosevelt mm-hmm. did not swear in on a Bible because uh, McKinley was assassinated. Right. And when he was sworn in, there just wasn't, uh, they couldn't find a Bible.
1: Yeah. And I think that was one of our earlier presidential trivia questions from one of the early, one of the first episodes.
0: Franklin Pierce also took the oath on on the Constitutional Law Book. And Lyndon Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson, used a Catholic missile when he took his oath on uh, board Air Force One after JFK was assassinated. Mm. And the missile was found on a side table in Kennedy's bedroom on the plane, which was just easier to find. Uh, Somebody get me a religious book. (laughs) So, four presidents did not use a Bible.
2: Hm.
1: Oh, crazy.
0: Yeah.
1: Updates in the world.
0: Okay. Updates, Jeremy. What's our updates?
1: Well, nothing. I mean, I just oh. thought we could just talk about the current events right now. Oh boy. So much going on in this world. Everything's on fire. Ruth you know, Bader Ginsburg passed she away passed last away. week.
0: Passed away, which so. is sad. And I feel like no matter what your take is on like how she dealt with like you know the Constitution or constitutional law. You have to admit, she did a lot for women. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, absolutely. Without her, yeah. I wouldn't be able to buy a car by myself, buy a house by myself. Mm-hmm. You know, there workplace discrimination. There's a lot of things that she's done that I am very thankful for absolutely. as a woman. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And then talk about fulfilling, the or filling those shoes. And that's a whole other argument in and of itself. Right. So... It'll be interesting to see how uh, how this plays out in the next next two months. Yeah, we'll we'll, a month we'll and see. A half, so six weeks. I volunteered as a poll worker,
0: which so. I'm really I think that's really cool. Yeah,
1: my school gave us the day off and encouraged us to go volunteer and participate. And
0: but yeah, that's just your reminder to register to vote for this election and request your. Either absentee ballot, your early vote vo- or- your early voting ballot, <laughs> or just register to vote so you can vote yeah. in person.
1: Like, one of the things I know our county's doing is they put out a bunch of extra ballot drop-offs because, you know, there's been a lot of concern about the Postal Service being able to handle right. the increase in volume. So I know a lot of counties are actually placing ballot boxes uh, that are secured. Like, there's one here at the City Hall. You can go and you can drop your ball- ballot off there. So check that out. See if that's the thing your county is doing. Also, make sure you check your, like, county website to make sure that it's an official drop-off. Yes. So, I don't know. There's a lot of... Uh, I saw a, a news piece where some lady put a toilet in her yard said drop, drop your mail-in ballots here. Or some person put a toilet in their yard said so drop off mail-in ballots here. It was considered, like... I don't know. It was kind of crazy, but... I like don't it know.
0: was considered, like, fraud, yeah. almost?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was like...
0: Oh, what a world.
1: Yeah. Crazy times.
0: What a world. Register to vote, and we hope you stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time... Stay, stay weird, America! Weird America.